Welcome to Healing Voices Project, where we share stories of addiction, grief, recovery, and courage. And also from people who work every day in the field of substance abuse who discuss their experiences and advice. I'm Mike Torville, your host. Thank you all for joining us. everybody. Thanks for joining us back here on Healing Voices Project. We're glad to have you. And each week we have a guest. And this week we're going to do something just a little bit different. Um, about two years ago, I wrote a book called Voices from the Fallen. And this book contains eight true stories uh, from Western Massachusetts of people that, that I've gotten to know very well. And each of these stories um, has different causes, different outcomes, different effects on the family, but I learned a lot from every single one of them and um, certainly inspired by many of them as well. And about a year ago, we had um, one of those people, Jason Cunningham, as a guest on the podcast, and he has a chapter in the book. The chapter is called Breaking the Chains of Trauma. And now Jason has such an inspiring story and I have a lot of respect for Jason, all that he's gone through, what he's doing now. And I think his story is worth sharing with you again. So what we'll do, and I could start talking about Jason, but uh, I think the story is better told from him. So um, Jason will share some of the, the early events in his life, how things changed, what led to his drug use, what led to his recovery and what he's doing now. So, Let's just jump into um, Jason's story a little bit right here, and you'll hear from him. Uh, I guess uh, it was in my early teens when the the major uh, major um, event, I guess you can call it, took place. Uh, there was an accident that took uh, my father was involved in. He was uh, intoxicated. Um, he left the house to go pick my brother up uh, a town over, and he didn't make it but a quarter mile from the house, and he hit someone head on. He veered into their lane. Um, but that was the night... Um, that it really began to hit home that, uh, you know, I wasn't normal, things weren't normal. And so it began to set in. As I was young, you know, you get to 14, 15 years old, self-identity, those kinds of things, and I really was struggling with that at, prior to it. Mm -hmm. um, I have always been involved in um, special education. That's all I knew in school. So I was socially awkward to begin with, mm -hmm. but still trying to make that fit. As a kid, you're resilient. So you're always trying to say, okay, this is just normal for me. It's just not for you. But as you get older, you want, there's a, there's a, you know, social construct. I wasn't fitting into that. And the moment that, um, that accident took place, it really hit hard that, you know, my, uh, uh my life wasn't normal. Um, and then it really got into overdrive. Um, my father was, he was convicted of, I can't remember exactly what vehicular attempted manslaughter, attempted vehicular manslaughter or something to that effect. The people that he hit lived, luckily, but they were very badly damaged. And um, to remedy a certain amount of time to spend in prison, his lawyer convinced him to uh, divulge some information to the court. And then also that would be, you know, spoken at, the, at his sentencing. And that was that he adopted me when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And so when he first told me about it, of course, it hits you like a ton of bricks. You know, what do you mean? You're not my, you know. You're, you mean you didn't know this at I the time? I had no idea. I had no idea. I sensed it. I always sensed it, but I never toyed with it. I just thought, okay, 
with all the weird things going on in life and you know the situations relationships you know adult child type things i i really just kind of said okay that's just you being crazy especially when you're you know my father was uh a very he was verbally manipulative manipulative and abusive mm -hmm. and so i took it a lot different than my brother my brother took it a lot more personal and I watched it destroy him. And now, let me just, uh, was your brother also adopted? No, he was not. No, so we share okay. the same mother, different fathers. Okay. Okay. I And I've never met or know who my biological father is. My mother was, she either knows and doesn't want to say or mm -hmm. just doesn't know. Um, so I never found that out, and I never really pursued it. Okay. I don't really want to know. Um, mm -hmm. um, so, now I forgot where I was on that one. I lost my. my I interrupted you. That's my fault. Yeah, it's okay. No, no, no. But I, I lost my place in the in the narrative there. Uh, oh, when I found out the adoption, so you find out, of course, and then a couple of days later, there was an argument um, going on at the house uh, between my grandmother and, I believe it was my aunt, and somehow I overheard her saying the judge didn't need to say that, and your, you know, Linda, who's my mother, and I, we. We begged the judge not to say that, but apparently the judge threw the book at my mother for not being around. She had left when we were young, and so just and uh, hold that thought. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to interrupt you again. Prior to that accident, you were living with your dad, correct? As it, he was a single parent, correct? Your, your mom and dad had separated, correct. so you were just yeah. with your dad yeah. and, and your brother. Yeah, my younger. I have one brother, yeah. a year younger than so I. So now your only parent was going to be taken away. Correct. Yep. Yes. So when when I was gosh four or five years old, my mother made the decision to leave. Uh, it was a, just a bad relationship all around. It was uh, we were we lived in a very um, you know there was no organization in the house. There was no structure at all. It was you know a constant parties and that kind of stuff. Drug use. You know all of the whole nine yards fighting damage all of it anything you can imagine in a crazy you know um, you know movie where kids grow up in the wrong scene that was it essentially yeah. basic very basic but it was um she had had enough of him at some point and decided to that she was going to leave us with him um there's uh, you know there's i've heard other versions of the event but what happened was she left and uh, we were with him and so yeah we grew up in that environment of um you know just you know, we went to school basically on our own. We got ourselves up in the morning. Fend for yourself. That's it. Yeah, yeah. we got ourselves up yeah. in the morning. When he was sober, he would help. You know, he did the best he could, I think, in that regard. But most of the time, it was just get up, and we went and did our thing. Um, and so that was kind of the, the environment we grew up in. You know, it was, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We got to watch what we wanted, listen to what we wanted. At 14. 14. Oh, beyond, before that, you know, I was mm -hmm. watching movies, you know, all sorts of stuff earlier than that. And so... There were some other things I don't want to, I won't get into here, but uh, that were going on that were normal for us, that were abnormal in the education system. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, we were seeing counselors, that kind of thing. But we really were shut off from that because, uh, you know, there was retribution from my father and other family members supporting him to, if we said anything, you know, that type of situation. So we really just shut up and we would just clam it up and wouldn't really talk about it so these kind of things were just what we were going through as we were, you know as we were growing up we never really talked about it or expressed much we never asked for help we didn't know to you know and so um, that was kind of all these things that bottled up and then when the adoption took place and then finding out that it was uh, not necessary to be for me to be told that that's when I started using the drugs that's really when it hit me so hard I didn't really know what to do um, well there's two things there one you find out you're adopted yes that's uh, it takes you back 
Mm-hmm. But simultaneously, he was being taken away. Correct. So yes. now, not only have you found out you're adopted, but now you don't have a parent to go to, and it's like, what now? Right. Exactly. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And, and and even at that point, uh, you know, we were just kind of left to at that point again to you know essentially fend for ourselves. You can see here the difficulties and challenges Jason had at an early age, and you can see how him, Jason, and his father, both of their efforts to overcome these challenges spiraled downwards in the wrong direction. The drugs you were using, many of them you were introduced to by your father. Correct, yes. Every drug that I've ever done, pretty much, marijuana, the only one one was acid. That was the only one that, for some reason, he said was forbidden. I don't know why, but drinking, uh, using marijuana, and eventually going into the heavier drugs, the prescription drugs, and then into the crack cocaine, the cocaine, heroin, whatever else. And uh, as a teenager, I know you had said you had uh, bipolar disorder and depression yeah well that's what they diagnosed it as i mean to be yeah. you know some people just said oh you're just sad or you're just confused or frustrated you know yeah. those things absolutely don't help if you are you know um, in that condition and with that and i think if unless i didn't interpret this right your dad not knowing what to do mm-hmm. um thought maybe maybe the drugs will help maybe they'll calm you down a little bit yeah that's how yeah. he handled his life that's how he handled his um you know right. his his pain and his you know regrets he had some things tragic happen in his life yeah, uh, unfortunately he um, found a family member dead from suicide when he was very young and that he always talked about it and i could tell it was something that just deeply troubled him mm-hmm. finding that that person that way i've never met the person but you could always tell by the way he'd talk about it that it was something that deeply affected him and so that was how he took care of that problem and again his uh he, he wasn't trained in how to deal with any bipolar or, or depression or any of those symptoms no. that you had. And I think you had mentioned that even when it led to, to heroin, mm-hmm. where it would, lack of a better word, relax you. Yeah. Uh, and because you, he, he, it was the way he dealt with it. So he thought maybe this will help. So in a weird yeah. way, he thought he was doing you a favor. He did. He thought he was helping me out. He thought he was doing the right thing. Um, you know, unfortunately, with in his same circumstances with himself, you know, you begin to, you know, I don't know his what happened in his childhood, uh, but something to the effect of where he was rejecting authority in his life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, the way other people handled things wasn't good or adequate. Um, and I don't know if someone in that, someone, you know, shaded him there, but he would always, he never was big on the doctors and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, my mother struggles with bipolar and I think that had something to do in me from going to doctors was the fact that he saw maybe something in her and obviously after a divorce and there's a rejection of someone's character and that's part of it and obviously there's me her son don't go doing that yourself here's a different way that could have been another thing too you know he didn't want to see me go to all these shrinks because it didn't help he ended up getting his heart broken through her trying to go to I, I don't mean to use the word shrinks in a negative way, but that's the way he... That's the way it was discussed. That's the way he talked about it. Um, and so, you know, that could have been a possibility too. But, um, yeah, no, everyone, every drug was pretty much through him. And you, you, yeah, and so, you... And it always was, it always was in a moment where 
I was down or something happened in life or I was scarred or struggling or something was wrong and he'd always say well here you go try this or here's something else or here's this it was never just do this and laugh at me while I got high and stood in the corner you know what I mean he wasn't so to him it was almost a purpose to yeah of it was just, a medication he was yeah. you know he, he didn't know what else to do he was young he was 20 years old when uh, my brother and I were uh, left when he was left with us he was young he was a young man when my mother left yeah, yeah when, when I got yeah. back, uh, I, I didn't, I, I just fell into the deepest depression of my life. And uh, um, the heroin came because of the regret that I had leaving the Marines. I could not live it down. I couldn't get over it. I couldn't get past <laughs> it in my mind. You did heroin with your dad mm -hmm. uh, to relieve yes. all the pain you were feeling. Yep. What happened after your first time you used heroin? I just, that was it. I used heroin and I, I, it took everything. All the pain went away. All the emotional pain, all the responsibility to take care of that pain went away. Mm -hmm. Everything just was like, I was floating. I didn't have to think about it, you know. Until the next time. Until, Until the next, next day. Time. Yeah, yeah, I could actually yeah. take a breath, you know, and take a breath, you know, and all the anxiety and the, the regret and everything uh, from what, all the just bad decisions, you know, and things that I could have done that didn't. And absolutely, even with, um, you know, the cocaine from the get-go, that was another thing that was, you know, would liven you up a little bit. And then you'd talk and be socially, I wouldn't be socially awkward. I could walk up to people and talk to them and be normal. Well, thought not normal. Right. So each one had something that I was repressing and not doing, but was, you know, really, really killing me. And then the heroin, just the regret from leaving the military was so bad. It took a year before I could sleep without thinking about it and how horrible I felt for doing it, you know. And then the heroin, I took that and said, oh, I found my savior. I don't have to worry about that anymore. But unfortunately, <laughs> that... Uh, it wasn't your savior. It was not at all. No, no, no it uh, just Sort of like worse. the devil in disguise here, right? It got I mean, worse yeah. from there. The moment that I didn't have it was very bad, painful. Now, where does Jason go from here? Uh, what changes... How does he end up uh, getting over, getting past all those things that were occurring? Because is he had admitted, and in the book it mentions, uh, he had nowhere to go. He had turned to wanting to end his life uh, because he had nowhere to go. Everything he did just came to an abrupt halt. So he had choices to make, but there's some things that did take a turn. And here's what happened next. So uh, that was that was the moment that I came to know the came to know the Lord. I, I came to um, start going to church, and uh, it, it was a moment where there was a freedom that I can't explain, but I knew it was there, and it was just like a, a, like I said, a presence at the time when I came to understood that that it was you know um, God's presence. You know, I finally turned to that. Thing that I kept noticing, but I didn't know quite what it was or why it was happening. It was sort of buried there a little way. Yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. there the yeah, whole yeah, time, yeah. but I didn't quite know what it was. And then finally, uh, it was revealed. Um, he was revealed. And then that was when I made the decision. Uh, that's when everything changed. That's another point in my life where I know everything changed. Yes, I fell back into another addiction after that point. Um, but things were always different. It was never the same. There was always a, a, a life there still there was always that purpose there was always that this isn't the end don't give up keep going forward um you know i'm here with you uh and you know um so it was it was a good moment even though i like all the other things you mentioned um going back mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> I ended up at the mission in 2006, the first time, and that's when I really realized that ministry can be life. I used to believe that you go by and see a church, it's a guy in a black robe, he sits there and looks out the window for people, mm. and then Sunday comes out and you know <laughs> goes back in, kind of like you know Gargamel or something. But that was it. I did had no idea. When I went to the mission, it was full-time ministry. It was people coming and going, people giving of themselves, like your mother coming and you know, giving of her time to help and to aid people, just to be there, just to be a presence. And then people donating even little to big, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, not asking for anything in return, just for the best wishes. And knowing the people, as you look around at myself, knowing myself first and foremost, wow, you're you're giving money to help someone like me. You're giving food to help someone like me. You're giving clothing to help someone like myself and all these people around. That was here. a foreign thought to Very you, right? Very strange. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, wait, do you know what? Do you know what I am? Do you know what I've done? <laughs> do you know who I am? And and then to hear their stories of, well, my brother or I've lost my brother or he's here or he was here. All those that, that dynamic of stories of testimony mm -hmm. of, they were they you know whatever it was. And I know that God is doing something here and helping people. And so that was my beginning to develop, seeing that God was, Christ was in the works. And you wanted to get into the ministry yourself. At the, about six months into the year program, yeah. I did. I decided yeah. that I'd like to get into ministry. I, I made some prayers to the Lord to say, hey, confirm this for me. And um, an interesting story was right after I had made a conscious decision to make the prayer, uh, I had a friend go to see a friend at a hospital. He was an older gentleman this friend that we were going to see. Anyway, uh, the decision was to go whether or not to go to this Bible Institute. And when I met this gentleman, there was two women sitting at the foot of his bed. And one was his daughter and the other one was her friend. But anyway, when I um, introduced myself, you know, we talked a little bit, what are you doing? Where are you going? And I told her my intention. Uh, and she stopped and she just, I told her about the BI, the Bible Institute. And she just stopped and she went and got a piece of paper and she wrote down a name and she handed it to me. And she said, that's my sister. Her name is Wendy Williamson. She is the um, head of international students at the Word of Life Bible Institute. Now, mind you, I'd never heard of the BI, and any million, hundreds of people I talked to at the mission never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. And then I go one day after making this prayer, and then there's this woman standing there, and it's her sister. And she actually, Wendy, I met her, great woman, a very nice lady, very yeah. you know, uh, godly woman. But she would always make sure to come and hear my testimony because I, and if I saw her, I'd you know make sure to slip that in there. Yeah. But that was the, the changing point where I decided, yeah, ministry, and there was a fulfillment there. I have, I haven't since I've entered the rescue mission in 2006. I have not touched heroin, crack, cocaine, any of it. I haven't had a desire to do it. When I fell back, it was into alcohol and drinking. You know, back into the social. I got caught up in that and the social aspect of it. But ultimately, it was a spiritual issue that led me to both times. Mm -hmm. And what's Jason doing now? How is he spending time? What's he doing with his life? Let's take a look. My whole intention in 2006, 2007 was to go back to the mission to become a chaplain. And I obviously got put on hold for a few years uh, while I played around with <laughs> being stupid again. Mm -hmm. um, but this time around, I got came back in 2017, completed the course, they offered me the job, and uh, I hopefully to pursue being a chaplain at the mission again. So in a roundabout way, things worked out to where I'm back in Springfield to, you know, at the mission to help people. And uh, I have a great opportunity there, you know, working with the guys, even mm -hmm. just one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. just in their life uh, and, and uh, doing a chapel service and doing the prayer. We have a Wednesday prayer meeting. We, I get to do that with them. And um, it's just awesome to be able to help introduce them to Christ 
because that's where I was free, you know. And the whole time, we say breaking the chains, but if you just have chains on you, you're already free. You just have to, you know, understand that and embrace it. And that's what I had to do, was embrace the fact that there's no circumstances putting you in this. It's how you're reacting to it. It's the responsibilities you're not taking. I always tell the guys this when they say, my life sucks. They come in and they're just bombarded with just the stories you hear. My life sucks. And I say, guys, your lives don't suck, your choices do. And you can change that, right? And you know the way I do that, obviously, is through the scriptures and through the Lord and through prayer. And to help them understand that you're free in Christ. It's free, it's not always gonna be fun. It's not gonna be the ride of a lifetime, but you're gonna have joy always. You're always gonna know you're doing the right thing and you're gonna be confident in that and that's your reward in life, is just people liking you and you're, you know, without having the drugs, without having to be a certain way, without having to, mm -hmm. you know, those desires that you that ruin you and make your character bad so you have to keep, you know, going to that thing instead of just embracing who you are. We're flawed, we're gonna have these problems, but we all have these problems. You know, everyone does. I mean, yeah, everyone. Absolutely, <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, you can yeah. we can compare ourselves to like a runner. Oh, I'm not a good runner because I ran through the woods and hit my head on a branch. Okay, those great runners that have smacked right into signs and they get back up and they <laughs> run again. They keep going. If you talk to a professional runner, yeah, a guy like Lance Armstrong, he'll tell you about wiping out. I'm sure a hundred times in the accidents he's had. You know, right? His leg flew off or something. Right. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. But anyways, you start to realize that we're all we all have flaws, you know, and it's okay. Just to keep going. Yeah, we're keep gonna going. mess up. Yeah. We're gonna make. We're gonna get boo boos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you have this this lightly. this feeling that just it, it's always with you when you go to bed at night. Mm -hmm. You just know, okay, yeah. I, I I'm at peace with who I am. Yeah, and you're not troubled by the thought of, gee, tomorrow how am I going to get through without? Right. Those things begin as yeah. you begin to just trust in, in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And the faith that I have now is just every day it gets more concrete to know it's okay. Yeah. Do the right thing. Yeah. Be a good person. Be kind. Be gentle. Be joy. You know, be, be these things you've always wanted to be. Be these things that the drugs artificially gave you, mm -hmm. you know, because that's really what I was searching for was peace. Yeah. Right? I wanted peace. I wanted joy. I wanted patience. All of those things. That's why I did the drugs because they helped me think that that's what I was getting. They deceived you. I was deceiving myself. Yes. 100%. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, there you well, have it. And, and I want to thank Jason for sharing his story of addiction, recovery, and most of all, his courage in stepping up to share his story. And also, too, as you could see from the beginning of his life at an early age, in his teenage years, um, everything was against him, but yet here he is now helping other people, inspiring other people and changing other people's lives. And that's a wonderful thing. And I tell you, I love telling stories like that. And I, I think Jason's going to make a world of difference. He continues to do that now. And I really appreciate him uh, being a part of this. To learn more about Jason, you can always look, listen to the original podcast, which we it's on the Healing Voices Project website, or and the book, Voices from the Fallen, Jason's chapter is called Breaking the Chains of Trauma. So I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you again to Jason. And um, we'll see you soon. Thanks.